You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Matt. And I am Jim. We're recording live here from the Graduate Studies Office at Grace Bible College. Yay! Live studio audience in the hall. <laughs> Are you the live studio audience? Well, they'll, they'll in, as they walk by invariably, the they will open the door on us yeah. while we're doing this. Well, that's good. But so it's the end of summer. It is. Last week it was the end of summer, too. Last it's time. a long, drawn-out end of the summer, which has to do with all kinds of... I would say last episode 10 was the end of summer episode. Episode 11 is the beginning of fall episode. School's getting back in session. Right, because we talked last time about how all this stuff was going to start. Sunday school kickoff. It's back. Last week we had our Sunday school kickoff. Did you? We did as well. Picnic? We had a picnic. We got some a lady from our church, bless her heart, donated a new like industrial-sized grill. Whoa. Like this thing is massive. It's like the size of a small table. It's bigger than my pulpit. Wow. And uh, we grilled up a bunch of chicken on that. And it was killer. I can see your church being a grilled chicken church. Oh, yeah. Our church was hot dogs and... That makes sense. And hamburgers. That makes sense. We're a little Which more... is a step up for us because a lot of times <laughs> we would do the boiled hot dogs. Oh, the boiled dogs. In Michigan, there's this thing that is... The, I did boiled dogs growing up on occasion. The big stack of hot dogs boiled in a crock pot for a while. Oh, the crock pot? Yeah, we have these big industrial crock pots. Man. And so you get the boiled dogs, and then then wouldn't all get used. And so you wonder if the next time you're having boiled hot dogs, if they're <laughs> the boiled hot dogs from Reboil, the last picnic. Reboiled dogs? We RBDs? Like, we like to save money when we can. <laughs> I had a good compliment, actually. Uh... There's one of my friends who's been coming to our church. His name's Juan. If you're listening out there, hello, Juan. Uh, he grew up as a missionary kid, and he said, we do good potlucks at our church. And coming from a missionary, probably the most potlucked of all people are missionaries. I took that as a compliment. We do good That's potlucks. Yeah. And I don't, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't love potlucks. Why not, Jim? It's not that I don't like the food that's there, because I mostly do like the food, but I have this thing where if I don't know where this food is coming from, what the process was in the preparation, it's kind of hard for me sometimes to get super excited about it. You're wondering if somebody made their salad in the shower? (laughs) Yes, very Kramer style. (laughs) But... Despite the fact that, and I, I eat my fill usually, I do a good job, but I'm not like filling up the plate hardcore. But the thing about the potluck is that it is like quintessential small church. Absolutely. I don't think, I've not really had a lot of experience in, in big churches or mega churches, but I don't think a mega church does a potluck. And if it does, it's looking a lot different. It's not the same. Right. Because you don't have, uh, you know, the, Granny bringing the same Jello salad that she brings every year, yep. and everyone knows who makes the best cheesy potatoes. Yes, of the five that are there, and then people have their signature recipes. You know who's going to be the baker. You know who's going to bring the certain dessert that everybody loves that Heck goes yeah. first. I had this killer, uh, <laughs> you know, that cho- chocolate peanut butter cake. It was so moist. <laughs> 
you know the Lovrens are going to bring a Little Caesars pizza <laughs> because it's so quick and easy. Also, fun fact, Matt Lovren, previous life was the proprietor of a Little Caesars pizza in South the, Kitsap County. I was the manager. The manager. Or Central Kitsap and in Silverdale, Washington. And still claims to this day what about Little Caesars pizza? It is the best pizza that you will ever have if you order a fresh one. Not the the hot and ready's. Hot and ready's are not where it's at. Right. Hot and ready's have poisoned <laughs> the mind of America. <laughs> to think that's what a Little Caesars pizza is. Yeah, but when you're spending five fifty. But honestly, are you gonna find a better deal than you're the, not? It's yeah. it's the best Even deal for your money. Yeah. If you're trying to feed your family or bring to a church potluck. Double cut. Yeah. Twenty four slices. You're providing you for all the kids in the church to have something to eat. There you go. And that's great because the church potluck is the kids and it is granny and it's all together. And I think that's what makes them fun. Like I, we had this, this crazy ratio of how many people came to church versus how many people stayed for the potluck. Like we only lost like, I don't know, maybe 10% of our people between the service, which is very rare, but it's such a cool time. Like I sat and I talked with some people in my church about uh, her job at an animal hospital for, you know, 20 minutes. And it was great. It's great to just do that sort of thing that you don't get to do when I'm running around trying to get the service all prepared on a Sunday morning. We had the same thing on Sunday. People stayed and someone saw that we had only one grill. Yeah. We didn't have a big grill. In this, you guys could have come down. I know. Our churches are pretty close. <laughs> uh, and so ran home and brought their grill in so we could get everything cooked in time. And you see people jumping in to use their gifts and volunteer their stuff yeah. and their talents and interactions between people that don't, like you said, don't normally happen. And that's where the life of the church really happens. Right. And the kids play and they'll have memories of that for their whole lives. Right. I remember the potlucks growing up, you know, and, and doing that, that sort of thing. So that's that's great. So if you're a small church pastor, and you haven't potlucked in a while, do the potluck. You won't regret it. I made a good joke on Sunday. Let's hear it. I said, "Hey, we're having a potluck this morning, so we hope you stick around. Even if you didn't bring a pot, you're in luck because we have lots." I was met with a variety of groans. My drummer did a brunch. Nice. It was. It was a good and shameful moment all wrapped into one. <laughs> Isn't that what a potluck I'm is, I'm becoming though? a dad, though, so i got to get this dad joke. You're on your way. Get my dad joke game on. I think it's a perfect joke to go with what the potluck actually represents. Right. Which is, we're not taking ourselves too seriously. Absolutely not. Because the potluck isn't all shiny and fancy and fun. There's no sermon. There's no, you know... There's no health department. There's no health department. <laughs> Don't bring that up. That's a, <laughs> that's a touchy subject. But it's very like, you know, we're just here, we're getting together, we are a family, and we're doing this. And so, they're great. Even if you don't like the food, it's good. good There's always happen. something for everybody. There's always something. Somebody brought Cheeto Puffs to this potluck. There you go. It's for the kids. <laughs> I ate some. I haven't had a good Cheeto Puff for a while. But, so do your potlucks. They're fun. They're good. They're good for local churches to, to have that sense of community. It's something that you're not going to get at a bigger church. How often is too often? Uh, we probably do about four a year, you know. Sounds about right. Yeah. 
for the the big events or something like that. You know, we do one at the end of summer. Missions conference. Missions conference is always potluck. We do one at the beginning of summer, at the end of summer. Usually there's another one thrown in. Some there kind somewhere. of Christmas dinner yeah. where people bring stuff. Yeah, or yep. Thanksgiving or something. Yep. So that's good. And that's where church life happens. So do your potlucks. And do them well. We're going to be following up with you to make sure you did them. <laughs> exactly. All right, so this week we have on the podcast Dr. Scott Shaw. Yes. Who's coming to us from Grace Bible College. And he is uh, the most highly educated person I know and a great example to me of someone who is a lifelong learner, uh, constantly pursuing education and growth and his own personal talents and abilities, always with a heart to serve other yeah, people. Yeah, yet has that strong balance of education and relationship and ministry and people smarts. And he's just, he's just the full package. We're excited to hear from him. Yeah. So we're looking forward to hearing from Scott, talking about counseling, uh, some of the things that pastors can do, talking about pastors' health, emotional health and relational health. Uh, lots of good stuff coming up. So stick around and... Uh, We'll be back with Scott Shaw in a moment. All right, well, welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. Today we're here with Dr. Scott Shaw. Hello. Welcome, Scott Shaw. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome, Scott. You're a man of many talents. Thank you. Thank you. Taekwondo. Happy to be here. Right? Taekwondo. What is your yeah. level? Uh, third degree black belt in Taekwondo. Have a first degree black belt in Shinsei Jitsu, which is a Filipino That's... stick and knife fighting style. Of course. Um. That's going to be really relevant to all of our pastoral friends who are out there thinking, how do I take my next steps in Filipino <laughs> stick and knife fighting? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but you're also a professor, right? Here yep. at Grace Bible College. Yep. Do you still teach at Spring Arbor? Or? I do. Okay. Yep. And they're uh, Master of Arts of Counseling and they're Master of Social Work Programs. Okay. And so you're a licensed counselor, social worker, mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. Exactly. Cool. Deputy Sheriff for a while. Yeah. Yep. Was a Deputy Sheriff and still a part-time police officer for the village of Sand Lake in Michigan. Truly and, a man of many talents. And you just completed uh, another credential, is that right, through Arizona State University? I did, yeah. Got a master's degree in uh, emergency management and homeland security. Oh. So you can be an official TSA screener now. I, I could screen at TSA. <laughs> <laughs> Keep listening to the podcast and we will uh, we'll demonstrate some techniques later on. <laughs> we'll have a live episode. Hi-ya. A live pat down. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here, Scott. Um, let's just talk a little bit about counseling because that's what you do. Um, we were just talking before we went on that for a lot of us who are pastors, we're not professional counselors. Some of us may have had some counseling classes. I took counseling classes from you here at Grace Bible College, but some of us, some people out there listening may have not had any training in counseling yet. They find themselves counseling people. You know, that's just the nature of pastoring and especially in a small church where you're the only guy on staff or there's two of you on staff. So I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? What are your thoughts about pastoral counseling and the role that that plays? Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. I think counseling is a, is a very important facet of what pastors do, especially um, where maybe you're the sole pastor of a church and there's not a pastoral staff or a pastoral counselor that you can defer to. Um, 
But at its core, counseling came out of the guidance movement. And really, that's what I think pastoral counseling is. It's guidance. Hmm. You're uh, helping to guide people back to the scripture. You're giving them sometimes practical advice. Other times, it's just emotional support or coaching and uh, meeting them where they are and helping them to uh, either reduce pain or reduce suffering or to find uh, what the next step would be for them or where God might be leading them. So really people come for different reasons to pastoral counseling, but um, you know, at its core it's really just helping to guide and to coach from where they are to where they want to be. So it's a good thing for pastors to encounter counseling and to engage with counseling and to go for it? I don't think you have any choice. I think <laughs> pastoral true. calling is counseling. Yeah. Um, it's also teaching and preaching, but it's it's really also guiding. Um, shepherding is is counseling. It's being with people and nurturing people. Absolutely, and guiding them along the way. Mm-hmm. What are some of the maybe I don't know if dangers is the right word, but if I'm a a pastor and I'm hearing some issues and I'm like starting to think, whoa, like there's something going on here beyond just hey let's. Uh, turn to first Corinthians and talk about, you know, church discipline or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that I should be thinking as a pastor in regards to that situation? Well, I think really you said the key. If you're starting to have a, a feeling or an inkling that this might be moving into an area that you're not entirely comfortable with, then that might be probably your first clue that it, it might be time to either refer or at least um, talk to someone else that has some insight or some training in professional counseling. You know, trauma is one area that... um, What do you mean by that from a counseling perspective? From a counseling perspective, um, essentially trauma work um, helps someone who has been in a period of either um, major turmoil or feelings of physical or emotional um, lack of safety to a point of um, being able to grieve that process of whatever was lost in the mm-hmm. trauma and then reintegrate that to have a healthy level of adjustment. So this would include like a spouse passing away or a Yeah, death member. and loss, um, sexual assault, um, being in a car accident, maybe where mm-hmm. someone was critically injured or killed. Um, things that, you know, as pastors you're going to face, um, mm-hmm. even you know, a child that dies in the school system, and maybe it's not someone directly impacted in your church, but it's someone that maybe the kids in your church knew. Yeah. So it was a classmate or a teacher that dies or someone like that that uh, can be very traumatic. You know, pastoral counseling can be a valuable um, intervention at that point, but sometimes where the trauma itself, the person has a hard time reintegrating, has a hard time grieving whatever that um, major life event was, then that could be an area for referral to help someone get over the hump. Hmm. How do you identify that? I think it's both your own gut sense, you know, and part of that is is the Holy Spirit that just, you sense it, you intuit it, or if there's um, safety issues, you know, you certainly want to keep a person's safety uh, as one of your primary concerns and ensure that there's an intervention that would keep everyone involved safe. Or if, you know, you're working with someone, you're guiding and counseling them, you're giving them valuable scripture, but it just feels like they're not moving. It's not working. Or they Um, revert. Yeah. Maybe they make some progress, but take giant steps backwards. Yeah. And you see that, especially with couples, if you're starting to work with couples, and it could be communication stuff, but as it starts 
getting into it, you're not seeing progress or growth, that could be a time. But that's always hard, too, because there is this stigma, I think cultural stigma, of people who talk to counselors are people who are messed up. And that's probably not a helpful thing. Probably not. <laughs> well, if but it is out there. If yeah. a person's coming to their pastor and the pastor says, I don't think I can help you, right. go see someone who can. Like, whoa. What's that do to the pastoral relationship? And right. yeah, what does that do to the person's own self mm-hmm. concept of, well, I really am messed up. Not even my pastor can help me. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we combat that stigma? Yeah, I think part of it's the way it's framed. You know, if we think of counseling as guidance, um, all of us can use guidance from time to time. And um, some specialties like clinical psychology does lend itself more to um, mental illness or severe psychopathy. But uh, a lot of times just guidance itself or counseling is people that are going through struggles. That's why we have counselors in school. Um you know, I speak to a counselor to set up my classes. Should I be taking math or algebra or trigonometry? Mm-hmm. And partly it's just figuring out the what's above. the next step or none of the above. <laughs> Absolutely. Therefore, we study my theology. <laughs> <laughs> so I think some of it's framed that way and also having a relationship. Um, I think small churches, especially in setting up a relationship with a Christian counselor, someone that you know, that you trust, that, you know, may not have... Um, every um, you know every point of doctrine that yes we're we're the same on right. every single point but that you know 90% this person's a solid christian they're going to approach things biblically um, and really seeing that counselor as an extension of of the church they're so you're an extension talking about of like the pastoral staff so the, almost the pastor you think should have a relationship with a specific one or two absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely that they can refer to and that sort of thing and then there's a comfort level among the pastor that in making that referral, you right. could even have the, a time where if the person's comfortable, the pastor could be in part of the first session and mm. kind of a handoff or kind of a warm handoff. And now we're going to take it from here sure. and keep me in the loop as needed. But having that relationship can be a helpful thing. How would I do that? I mean, if I'm in a church, small town maybe, and I don't, like, do I just call up my local counseling office and say, hey, I'm looking for a Christian counselor? Like, what would be a first step of, of doing that? There are some good organizations. Um, the American Association of Christian Counselors has a, a membership database, and you can put in a zip code. Mm. So who are people that would identify as Christian counselors, and they would be listed in there. One of the things that I think is really interesting about the role of the pastor is pretty much everybody that I'm in relationship with at my church, there is some sort of counseling going on, um, just kind of an ongoing event, whether it's through little conversations I have or they're talking to me about their medical issues or whatever. But then there are the specific counseling moments I have, you know, like we're in our office and, and, you know, we're talking specifically about some of these issues. I think that's just kind of a unique thing about pastoral ministry. I don't know if there's a lot of other vocations that are like that, where you mm-hmm. are constantly in the state of, of guiding, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you are the shepherd, right? And so you're shepherding people and you're always moving them in that direction. That's Well, along with that, I'm wondering... Uh, in your experience, that, and in my experience as a, as a lay pastor, elder in the church, yep. you can take on a lot of that burden of people yeah. emotionally, and right. it ends up taking a lot of energy. So you hear the stories about pastors, and the, yeah. all they're doing is counseling and meeting with people, and they don't have time for their yeah. regular 
the run-of-the-mill ministry, right. the week-in, week-out stuff. So they get overwhelmed with these counseling relationships. I was going to prepare the sermon, but <laughs> yeah. all of you. <laughs> I've had those experiences, yeah, where like the week is, you know, it goes a completely different direction or because a of... Role. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so like with you as a counselor, you can put very strong boundaries up, right? Like mm-hmm. you can... Be actually account- required to by law. Yeah. We so you come to the end of our time. Exactly. And then you can kind of <laughs> meters up. You can <laughs> you can ticket. You can close that door in your mind, you know, and you can kind of move to the next thing. Whereas with the pastoral role and this kind of ongoing lifelong counseling, that can be difficult to do. Mm-hmm. What what do you do you have any advice for that? Like how, how, you, to, how do you manage it? Yeah, how do you yeah. manage it? How do you how do you empathize, but not let that take control of your life and your relationships and your marriage and your whatever. Yeah. It's, it's an ongoing process and I don't think it's something that you necessarily solve, but you'll always manage it for the rest of your ministry. As you take those times, you have boundaries as much as you can to say, you know, this is family night as much Mm -hmm. as I can. I don't do calling. I don't do sermon prep. I don't you know, maybe we even put the phone on do not disturb. If it's really important, please leave a message. But that's time with my family or it's a date night with my wife. Um, knowing that there's going to be those times where the most important things always have to be the most important things. Um, it might even be, you know, thinking about I have to preach Sunday. Therefore, <laughs> you know, knowing that you need time to prepare a sermon, um, it might be I turn my phone off, I put it on do not disturb, yeah. and that three, four hours, I'm just going to be studying and reading and then, okay, we'll let, um, you know, the relationship things come after lunch. Cause yeah, I mean, I guess there's, there's some degree where if your sermon suffers, even though the sermon does not identify your ministry, but if the sermon suffers, that's your time to really impact your congregation. And so there's kind of a, a wide range of, you know, fallout that's there. There's a cost you're spending. Yeah. But I also think that sometimes that's a worthy trade-off. I think there are occasions in which I found myself saying, you know, like the reality is people are probably not going to remember my sermon, whether or not it's amazing, decent, mediocre, bad, they're probably not going to remember it. But this person is going to remember Mm -hmm. this encounter that we're having. Absolutely. So I guess there are some instances when I, but there's a really complicated equation that you plug in the variables. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, again, having those times that I think probably most of us err on the side of no pastor, no minister that I've ever met puts in only 40 hours. You know, most of us are putting in 40 hours plus, plus we're on call, plus Mm -hmm. we're still um, doing above and beyond and then taking sermon Mm -hmm. notes and things home that we're going to be reading and studying Mm -hmm. and prepping. But, um, you know, realizing that sometimes it's okay to put a boundary around a certain level of time because, you know, you're, you're a minister as well to your family. You're a minister as well, um, to making sure that you can be all that you can be to fulfill your calling by being well rested, by taking care of your health, by being prepared, you know, when it's time to teach or to preach. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, it's not an easy balance, but I think it's something that has to be somewhere in your, in your schedule that you're being mindful of. Mental, emotional, spiritual health, that stuff's all important, not only for our, our people in our churches, but for 
the pastors as well. One of the courses I teach here at Grace is survival psychology. And some of the areas of focus are resilience, compassion, fatigue, grit. But it's easy to get fatigued when we're, we're helping people because mm-hmm. we care. And the more we care, sometimes the more we can overextend ourselves. And it's important to realize that, um, you know, that there were times when Jesus pulled away from the crowds and sought solitude. Mm-hmm. He left to go pray. He went on his own. And I, I think the same is true for us. You know, Jesus had a very short earthly ministry, and yet he still found time to get away. To, to pray. We need to do the same thing. I think there's times where it's really okay to pull away and have some time where you have some solitude and kind of recharge your batteries. What are some like keys for pastors who want to make sure that they are emotionally healthy? I think, you know, you just said kind of taking time and, and unplugging for a little bit, but is there anything beyond that that you would advise pastors who are just feeling like they're not healthy on their own? Yeah. I would definitely have a support network of other pastors. Um, Sometimes it just might not be appropriate to share a lot of personal things with your own congregation. I think there needs to be a boundary with the things that you share as a pastor with other pastors and and have a level of um, camaraderie and There's an understanding there that's different. Absolutely. But, you know, in terms of being fatigued with ministry or compassion fatigue, the biggest key is just your joy for ministry and your attitude. And it's really a self-check. You know, if you're finding like, you know, oh, I, I have to preach versus, you know, I, I get to preach mm. or I have to meet with this person from my church versus, you know, I, I really get to meet with this person and I'm excited about it. That's really kind of an internal barometer that you can judge. You know, how am I doing right now? And maybe it's time for a vacation. I could always tell for me, I knew it was vacation time when it just, oh man, Monday morning and who do I have to see today or who do I have to see this week? And even certain clients that I wasn't as excited as I should have been. You know, this is a challenge and instead, oh man, yeah. But usually a vacation was just a good time to regroup and really assess what am I doing and why am I doing it? I'm, I'm serving and it's, it's an opportunity. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, mm-hmm. um, Eugene Peterson writes a lot about the slowness of life. And our culture is so um, just naturally so busy. And so the people in our congregation fall into that cycle. And so to some degree, it's the job of the pastor to model boundaries and to show them what that looks like and to Mm -hmm. show them what it looks like to have time where you're not doing or going or trying to achieve. And if you are as a pastor or if we as pastors are constantly, you know, letting people control our time and our, our, there's, I think there's that modeling is not happening. Absolutely. Dr. Dan Allender um, has a, a talk and a podcast on how God ministers to us in his silence. And that's a tough sell as well because, you know, I want an answer right away and we're used to thinking, I need a quick answer, I need a quick response. I called you, where were you? You didn't call me back right away. And yet, even in prayer, sometimes, a lot of times, we don't get an immediate answer. Yeah. We we wait. There can be a temptation, I think, uh, as a pastor to to be the one who's able to help the person. Yeah. I feel needed. I feel like my time is valuable. And it feels like person. Scott said, it feels good when 
you help someone (laughs) when you see that. Mm -hmm. And so we're drawn to those kinds of relationships. That's part of our calling. And yet what you just said about silence rings true as well, because there's times that I can't get back to that text message. I can't get to that appointment that the person desperately wants to have an appointment with me. It's not going to happen tonight or tomorrow. And so there has to be a space Mm -hmm. of silence that I don't intend, but if I rush in to try to fill that, I'm sacrificing other things that are important, or I might get in the way of God using that space to do whatever God's doing in the situation. Yeah. Or you might fall into the temptation of wanting to solve the problem yourself. For sure. Which might not be what needs to happen. Might actually cripple one's ability to manage and cope relying Mm -hmm. on God and be instead becoming dependent on us. Interesting. And there again, I think sometimes there can be a thought among pastors that if I take vacation, people are going to think I'm lazy or people are going to think that I'm, you know, I don't care about the ministry, but that can actually be detrimental if you don't do that. If you don't just go to a beach or go wherever and just be physically away for a while. I like what you said earlier about being an example, you know, part of a shepherding role is you're leading by example. So how you get away and regroup and recharge your batteries and connect with your spouse and connect with your kids or grandkids and what you're doing, people are watching. So if you're burning the candle at both ends and I'm here for you 100% of the time, yeah. then that's the example that you're giving that in some ways, who can who can match that? Right. I think this is so important because... Hopefully anyone who's listening to this is hearing from a licensed mental health professional that it's okay to take a break Mm -hmm. and it's okay to step away. Not only is it okay, but it's necessary. It's necessary. Absolutely necessary. And some of us may be way past time where we needed to do that months ago. Mm -hmm. I know in our church, um, we've encouraged our pastor to take multiple weeks at a time because sometimes, okay, you get a Sunday off, but a lot of the other things are encapsulated before Sunday and after Sunday. So, you know, even though, well, it's two weeks off, it's really, it's really not. And it's been a great opportunity where others in the church can step up. Some of the elders, um, I preach at my church when my pastor's gone. We have other men who are elders in the church and it's been an opportunity to come together and Mm -hmm. and uh, use our gifts that if pastor was there every sunday um it wouldn't really be the the same ability for all of us to come together as a as a fellowship of believers yeah that's a great example what are some of the um dangers of pastors taking on the role of counselor which you said we don't have a choice (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i'm sure there are still some dangers I think being clear about where you're willing to go with that counseling. Um, Certain types of issues probably require at least a medical and possibly a professional counseling response um, where there's something where you have a legal obligation, as in child abuse or neglect. Mm -hmm. Um, Pastors are are now under um, laws, a duty to report that uh, at least I know we have listeners probably from different states, but in Michigan, it's a a 93-day misdemeanor, impossible $500 fine. So actual jail time, if you know of child abuse or neglect, suspected abuse, and don't report it. Hmm. Um, In part, the laws were changed a few years ago after the Catholic clergy sexual abuse scandals that kind of rocked 
um, churches across sure. the world. But those are things where you have an obligation to report. And I would say, you know, if, if you suspect that there's some things going on, that's probably a good time to at least encourage them to get some professional help. Um, where there's domestic violence and you believe that one person or more might be at physical risk, that might be a time to um, bring in some kind of additional response. Um, severe mental illness. Depression is significant. Anxiety, uh, bipolar disorder, other things where there could be a higher risk of suicide. And if you're concerned about someone's personal safety, uh, you want to bring in a professional that can help respond to that. Well, there's another added level there, kind of going back to this the difference of pastoral counseling. It, if you have a client and you decide, okay, I need to report this person to the, the police, that happens and pretty much life goes on and you, you know, <laughs> you keep practicing, maybe you deal, you know, interact with that. As a pastor, if I do that, suddenly I have so-and-so's sister or brother or mom or kids or friends at my, why are you doing this? Why are you sending them to the office? And now there's like a rupture in the church through that. But I suppose that's where we remember that if something like child abuse is happening, that's way more important to get that solved than whether or not there's division in your church. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's confrontation is never easy. Most of us avoid it. We just don't like it. And yet teaching the truth or preaching the truth in love is confrontation. You know, um, many of your messages are not necessarily taken as, oh, I I agree with that. I like that. Sometimes like, ooh, that was harsh. And that really spoke to me, but not because it's right. And something in my life is resonating with what you said. Right. But, yeah, we have a, a legal obligation to, to do that, and it's, it's not always easy. But ministry is not always easy. Yeah, and maybe as small churches, that's actually one way that we are blessed, that we don't have all of the corporate structures, and we don't need to feel like we have to be so slick and clean and polished all the time, but we can operate like a family. And families have issues and fights, and they deal with, with disruption, and they deal with conflict, and they heal and they move forward from it and that's maybe a better way to think of the church rather than I've know. always I've always seen my counseling as ministry and I've been blessed to work for Christian organizations and uh, Christian group practice but thinking through when I've had to report and I've probably uh, made child abuse neglect reports probably well over a hundred times mm-hmm. I've always disclosed myself first saying what you've just said to me meets the level where I'm required by law I have to report that Hmm. now because mandated reporter laws are actually set up to protect the reporter confidentially you could report Hmm. and not tell the person or tell the family that's never been my policy I've always wanted to tell the person that I'm reporting so that they hear it from me first and there's no surprises. And what that's allowed me to do is, I think, missionally retain and sometimes even strengthen the relationship that I mm. had with that person so they didn't get blindsided by a random visit mm. from a CPS worker or, or a detective, but rather they already know mm. because I said, I'm going to be the one reporting. I can understand this is not pleasant, but what I can say is here's what's been disclosed to me this is what meets the level of me having to report it. But I'm also going to tell them that we have a relationship, that um, 
you know, if you have any questions, that's what I'm here for as well. Yeah. And I'll kind of walk with you through that process. Interesting. And that's something that probably people outside or some people outside of a Christian counseling background wouldn't necessarily feel obligated to do. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we like to do when we end our conversations is we ask three questions. We ask if there's any books that you would recommend to our readers, specifically maybe in the line of what we've been talking about tonight. And we also ask you, what's your greatest joy in your ministry? And you say you, you think of your counseling as ministry. And what's the, the hardest thing or the biggest drag uh, that you just really wish wasn't there, but it's part of the, part of the deal? Yeah. So let's start with a book or two. Uh, books. Boy, there's a lot of good ones. Um, one that I like in particular is New Guide to Crisis and Trauma Counseling by H. Norm Wright. It's right here, everybody. It's present in the Voila. room. Get a good look at it. Practical yeah. Guide, oh, for ministers. So this is like specifically for... Ministers, counselors, and lay counselors. Okay. So a lot of good practical information in there that is actually valuable to pastors as well. And does it serve as kind of like a resource book where I don't have to read it cover to cover? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. Um, I also like organizationally the American Association of Christian Counselors, and they have different levels of membership, um, of course, professional counselors, but they also have pastors. Um, so pastors can sign up for membership or at least use their website. And also the Counselor Find uh, resource is good if you want to know who are licensed counselors in my area. Is I that can put in a zip code. CounselorFind.com or org? Yeah, or I think it's aacc.net. Okay. Um, but if you Google American Association of Christian Counselors, you can find their okay. website. And um, it'll describe everything there. So those are really some good resources, and there's a lot of books as well that they recommend on the website. Cool. And they're really the cutting edge. The president, uh, Dr. Tim Clinton, is pretty linked in with um, Liberty University, mm -hmm. and they tend to be one of the top uh, Christian counseling programs for graduate-level education. So what? let's talk about joys and struggles. Joys. Um, just being a part and being able to walk alongside people um, through difficult times. Um, you know, I, I think that's been the greatest joy of seeing lives restored, people being well, relationships um, coming back together that were on the brink of disaster. I think that's the biggest piece. And sometimes uh, it doesn't always happen, but hearing years later uh, from maybe even clients that I've forgotten about, but they bump into me or write or I get a letter in the mail and it's like, you know, you made a difference when I was in high school and now they're adults in their mm -hmm. 30s. And it's like, wow, okay, that's really something. And I guess realizing that, you know, you can make a difference and really impact people. Probably more than you know at times yeah. where God will just put you in the right place at the right time and you can have an impact. Mm. It's exciting to be a part of that. And the downsides. Yes. <laughs> the downsides, I think it's, it's similarly where you can work extremely hard and pray that God will use you in a way that can make a difference and sometimes people uh, don't don't make a change and seeing people that are um, despite your best efforts um, still continue on in an affair and destroy their families or continue on with a substance that um, destroys their health and results in them losing everything um, and sometimes feeling like you know I, I wish I could do more but sometimes you're left feeling that um, 
you know, I'm, I might be working harder than my client, mm. and that's a frustrating feeling. That sometimes you have to take a step back and say, you know what, I, I can walk alongside you, but I, I can't pull you. Yeah. And again, coming back to boundaries, it's, it's, a, it's a balance, and I don't think you ever quite achieve it, but it's something that you consistently work for. Thanks for being here, Scott, and we really appreciate your expertise and all your uh, years of ministry and time in the trenches and your heart for a pastoral ministry. It's been really great. Thanks, Scott. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.